kind of jump into uh, what I want to talk about this morning. I know Tim's got a he's he's got a if he gets up and leaves, it's not because he's disgusted with what I'm talking about. It's because he has to unload his kiln. So so feel free to whenever you need to, Tim. Um, okay, so I had this really cool graphic, and we're not going to be able to visualize it this morning, but. Um, I tried to email it to Leif and whatever. He couldn't log into Mumzels or something. So I wanted to talk to you about something called Vision Streetwear. Has anybody ever heard of this? Okay. So when I was 10 years old, uh, Vision Streetwear was everything to me. Vision Streetwear were a pair of shoes. And more specifically, they were skateboarding shoes. And they were, um, uh, you know, I was a little skateboarding kid. You know, every magazine that came out, it, me and my friends would flip through every single page. And you soon came aware that Vision Streetwear made you ollie better. You could jump higher because all the guys in the pictures were doing big ollies and big pictures. So me as a kid, I thought, I need to get these shoes. I went to my dad. I said, hey, dad, um, can I get these shoes? They were like 70 bucks or something for, I mean, it's like, he, he's like, he says, no, you can't get those shoes. They're too expensive. And, uh, and he says, well, you can work for them. So I saved up some money, whatever. I paid half, however that worked. I forgot, bought the shoes, had the shoes as the first person amongst my group of friends that have these really awesome shoes. It became a part of who I was. <laughs> I, I uh, was very proud of these shoes and, it kind of marked my authentication as a really good skater, okay? Having these shoes qualified me to be good, right? So um, soon the shoes became more popular. They became available in stores. More people started to wear them at school, and my system was ruined. This this specialness that I had was was ruined. So I had to take it a step further, and I decided that, well, actually, some people who have these aren't even really skaters. So what makes you a good skater is if you have a little, you guys know the little hole that, am I speaking a uh, foreign language here? Okay. So if you, if, you, if you know how to ollie and you're a little kid, um, you, or not even a little kid, you can be a big kid and know how to ollie, you, you develop a hole in your shoe because the grip tape, on the skateboard, when you ollie, you kind of drag your foot up the board, and it creates a little hole in your shoe. And so that then became my new authentication, my new specialness was, well, I have a hole in mine. I actually use mine for what they were made for, and so mine, my, I, I am approved or whatever in the skater world. So... I shared that story because what we're talking about this morning in Galatians, and I'll kind of catch us up uh, to where we were um, in the last two weeks, but Paul is talking about something that is infiltrating the church, a a teaching that is really a false gospel that he calls, and really it's a form of authenticating somebody's Christianity, somebody's faith. He's saying... Um, and he's arguing against this um, this teaching that's coming in, that's come in. I just want to catch us up uh, for for those of us who have not been here for the last couple of weeks. 
Uh, we're going through the book of Galatians. Galatians is uh, not necessarily a specific church, but it's a region. Uh, this church was one of the first churches that Paul planted. Uh, Paul lets us know right at the beginning of the book that he, um, his new name is Paul, that he used to be Saul. Saul was a man who uh, killed uh, many people Christ- just for being a believer in Christ. And he rounded people up, imprisoned them, killed them. Um, pe- people in the early church were very fearful of this guy. He was on his way to um, round up more Christians. Jesus came to him on this story that's called the road to Damascus. He um, knocked him to the ground, blinded him, and, uh, and, and spoke audibly to Paul. And Paul got up from that place at, through the instruction of Jesus, went to the next town where he said that uh, there was a man, who uh, Ananias, who was going to come and speak to him. Ananias received a dream from God to go talk to this guy, Paul, who was the killer guy. And he was, and I said, you're crazy, God. You want me to go uh, minister to this guy who's the killer? Do you want me to die? Like, what's going on? So he ended up um, following through, being faithful. He went and told Saul at the time, hey, God came to me in vision, told me to come to you. Immediately, it says, he didn't even pray for him. Immediately, scales from, fell from his eyes. He received his sight back. It says he was immediately baptized. And from that point on, we know of Saul as Paul. So he starts off this book saying, hey, I'm the new guy, the new man, Paul, writing you. He also clarifies himself and gives credential to himself as an apostle. Why is that important? Because back then... Being an apostle meant that Jesus Christ actually physically chose you to be in his inner circle and that you were commissioned to go out into the world. Um, that, that title carried authority. Um, now when we say apostle, it doesn't really have a meaning like that. Um, but back then, if you said that you were a apostle, that meant that you were personally picked by Jesus Christ. The interesting thing is that Paul came to belief in Jesus after he was living, after he died on the cross, after he was risen. So he's making a pretty huge thing, a statement saying that he was physically chosen by Jesus Christ. That could be disputed, you know, amongst others. So he was making a huge statement saying he was an apostle. Um, and he, and it's clear that in this book that he's, he is um, uh, putting up an argument against um, others. There's, there's, there's people saying Paul really isn't an apostle. He's just making this up. He's bringing in his own opinion into the church, and he's making it appealing to man. Paul over and over says, I'm not appealing to man. You know, why would I appeal to man? I've given up everything for, for this. I've given up everything. I had, in Judaism, I had clout. I had wealth. I had um, a family line. You know, I had a, a whole thing going for me, and I gave up everything. And not only did I give up everything, but now I am being beaten. I'm being imprisoned. I don't have enough money. I have to take a job as a tent maker. Paul gave up everything, okay? So. This is part of the context of this. Is da- Later on, we read that he 
actually wrote this book by hand. He says, look what large letters in uh, chapter 6, look what large letters I write to you with my own hand. And the thing about that is that Paul normally used a scribe. He spoke, somebody else wrote it down, okay? Um, and the fact that he's uh, using, it would be in, in our in our context, it would be like using caps lock. If you use caps lock, it's kind of like, hey, pay attention to this, what I'm saying. This is a big deal. So, um, I calculated just by just on my own little way that if I would have written the book of Galatians by hand, it'd be about 20 pages. That's a pretty long letter. If I was going to write somebody a 20-page letter, that's there's I got something to say, right? So this kind of catches us up to where we're at. He's um, he's 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 speaking out against these people who are making claims against him. He's speaking about about speaking out against the message that they that they're delivering, and that really what they're doing is that they're changing the gospel message. Is what he's saying. The true um, underlying. Uh, message that we are preaching you you are threatening by adding and what what they are adding specifically uh in the in this story is circumcision and um following the old jewish customs and he paul's speaking out saying um that by adding an importance like that to the gospel message that you're basically rendering uh the cross as irrelevant. You're saying that that wasn't enough and that you have to do something in addition to that to be accepted by God. And um, really Jesus' message and last words were, as it is finished, it's a complete work. And Paul is arguing um, in this letter um, for that. Uh, So uh, we... We'll pick up here uh, at Gal- in Galatians 2, 11 through 21, if you want to follow along. Um, and just keep in mind that this story is not uh, ri- written as an account as he was with them, because he was actually away from them. And so these stories are kind of a, a whole myriad of a timeline that he's talking about. He's speaking to these people and and pulling lots of different stories together. So this isn't like in front of the Galatian people. And I'll kind of explain why that's, why why I clarified that. Um, So Galatians 2.11, it starts out, When Peter came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he was in the wrong. Okay, who does that? (laughs) That's pretty hardcore. That he opposed him to his face because he was in the wrong. It must have been a big deal. It also, I wanted you to know who Peter is. Um, which makes it even more of a big deal. Okay, Is that Peter was the guy who walked on water. Jesus called him out of the boat. Peter got out of the boat, walked on water to Jesus and then right before he got to Jesus, he looked down. He was thinking in his head, what am I doing? This is water. I can't be walking on And all of a sudden he starts to sink, takes his eyes off of Jesus, 
asks for help. God, you know, he reaches his hand down and pulls him back up. And he says, you know, ye of little faith. That, that was Peter. Peter walked on water. Peter was the first disciple to confess Jesus as Christ. Jesus said, asked them in a group setting, and this, was, this is in Luke 9, 11, 18 through 20. He says, who do the people say that I am? He had all of them there. Who do they say that I am? And, and they were answering, oh, some say that you're, um, uh, what's that guy, the, the prophet? Elijah, yeah, so, thanks. Some, some, some of you say that I'm Elijah. Some say that you're Elijah. Some say that you're whatever. Some say that you're whatever. And then he, he hears all of them. And then he says, but who do you guys say that I am? You amongst my inner circle. And it was Peter who spoke up, was the first one that said, you are the Christ of God. He was the first one to confess that. Okay, and then Jesus went on to instruct them to keep that a secret for a little while. Peter's also the guy who disowns Jesus in Luke twenty-two fifty-four. This is after Jesus was arrested and taken off. Peter was the guy who Jesus uh, said, "Hey, you know, you're gonna you're gonna deny me three times for the rooster crows," and he says, "No way, you know, that, not me." And he does. He he denies him three times. He he's following, kind of watching where they're taking him. He has his little cloak thing on. He sits down in the in a setting to where he's trying to blend in. And a little girl comes up and says, "Hey, you're you're the guy, who you were one of the guys with Jesus." And he says, "No, no, I don't know what you're talking about." And then two other separate times, three total times, people come up to him and says, "Aren't you one of the guys who was with Jesus?" And he says, "No, uh huh." And he, he because he was scared that they might drag him off too right he had he had this fear of man so this guy this peter guy who's really has kind of an amazing experience with jesus himself um uh but also kind of fails too a lot really when it comes down to it in in a lot of ways he he fails to live up to or follow through or whatever you know he 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 looks down at the water. He's sinking. He denies Jesus after these things. Th- he's this is the same guy who Jesus commissioned to lead his flock, to lead the church. This is like um, I'm not real educated or big in basketball, but this is like if you get a technical foul or something, and it's the game-winning shot, and you don't take the guy who you don't take the best skilled dude. You take the the shortest guy off the bench to shoot the hoop to shoot the basket through the hoop like it's a big deal he's like you're going to be taking over when i'm gone and he's got the guy who's who's kind of failed and failed um but jesus saw something in him and this is this is the same guy who jesus said you're going to be the leader of of the church in john 21 15 through 23 this peter is also the same guy who gave the speech um of 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 uh at Pentecost where thousands of people uh were saved and there was all kinds of miraculous uh things happening um in their midst and and he delivered really the like he was the guy standing up preaching saying you know y- you have killed the guy who came to save us God in the flesh and and People responded, and thousands of people in the church was radically changed from that point. Then later on, Acts 11, 15, 11 and 15, 
Peter, Peter was Jew, and we're talking about in this book, the, the Galatian, uh, in the Galatian church, there's Gentiles and there's Jews. It's mixed culturally. Um, actually, Jew, Jew is also a race also. It's not, um, so it's, it's like racially divided, you know, if you want to put it in those terms also. Um, and in Acts 11 and 15, Peter announces salvation of the Gentiles in Jerusalem, which was a huge thing for him to say, him being a Jew. And uh, God had come to him in many visions, and he'd had visions of uh, this uh, clean and unclean. Um, and he, he says, you know, God, uh, you know, how can I say something that you, declare something that you have made is unclean? And basically what he's saying in that is, is that he's, how can I say that these Gentile brothers and sisters in Christ are, are unclean? And he actually, um, in a way, it's almost like he's condoning sin in the eyes of, of Jews. Is, that's a huge statement for him within that cultural context. So, am I loud or echoey or good? Okay. All right, cool. So uh so this is the dude who he opposes to his face, okay? This is how it starts off. When Peter came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face. Tim, it was good to see you today. Yep. He opposed him to his face because he was in the wrong. This was hardcore. And that continues. Before certain men came from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles. But when they arrived, he began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles because he was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision group. The other Jews joined him in his hypocrisy, so that they, but by their hypocrisy, even Barnabas was led astray. When I saw that they were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel, I said to Peter in front of them all, You are a Jew, yet you live like a Gentile and not like a Jew. How is it then that you force Gentiles to follow Jewish customs? You who are, you, are we, who, we who are Jew by birth and not Gentile sinners, and that's kind of a... Um, uh, he's, he's talking like, hey, this is between Jew to Jew... You know, we who are born Jews and not one of them know that a man is not justified by observing the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So we, too, have put our faith in Christ Jesus that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by observing the law, because by observing the law, no one will be justified. Okay. So, what... Why is this important to us today? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pick back up here in, in just a minute with that. Um, why is it important to us? Um, what, how is this message culturally relevant to us today? Um, is that what was happening was that Peter was giving in to um, other people's approval system, basically, of who he was. It was cross-cultural, cross-racial, cross-national. Um, it was, 
he was, it was, it was like, and I kind of want to bring back that story that I was talking to you guys about, about the shoes. That's how I identified myself. You know, that's, um, I wouldn't, uh, I wouldn't have, uh, um, um, like, if I was in a, in a group or whatever, like, I felt like I was special because of those shoes, right? And really what, what's happening is there's a group of people that are coming into the church and they are saying that we're, we are the real Christians. We follow the old law. And through circumcision, through the way that we eat, through all these things. And, and these Gentile guys, they're not real Christians because they're not following these Jewish customs. They're not following this cultural expression that we, that we follow. And what ends up happening... Um, and, and this is kind of the, an overall arching theme of this book, is that by giving in to that, they're becoming slaves to that. They're becoming slaves to what other men think. They're becoming slaves to a cultural expression. And they're not taking on um, the freedom that is meant to be in Christ, that um, is above culture, that is above race, that is above... Uh, human opinion and philosophy, and that they're taking and adding to the message, and in doing that, they're they're nullifying the work of Christ that He did on the cross. So, the interesting thing about my shoe story, and I, when I was in that that was like when I was like in fourth fifth grade. When I was in seventh grade. Uh, there was a new kid at school, and I was at I was at Mount Garfield Middle School, and the skater kids went and hung out like on the side where the there was some curbs and stuff, and at lunch you could go skate for a little bit. That's where we would hang out, and we had all of our our culturally, you know, our skater culture stuff. We had our our shoes, you had your shirts, you had your stickers on your board, like I, we talked about a while back. And the new ki- there's this new kid who came. And he didn't look at all like a skater, but he came up and he was hanging around. And we weren't um, like mean to him or anything, but we weren't really kind of taking him in as because he he dressed differently. He had different shoes, and he came up to me and he says, "Hey, can I see your board?" And I was thinking, "You want to see my board?" So I was like, "Okay," and I let him take it. And he went and pushed that thing and ollied off this curb and did like this crazy trick like 10 times better than any of us and we right off the bat judged him as not a skater okay and so at that point I was looking at his shoes thinking man what does he have but really what I learned through all that and really the application of what I'm trying to get at is is that we are a small church but I believe that as we preach the gospel of Jesus Christ and do it accurately, and as we believe that God is going to move here in our community, that people are going to get saved. And that we are going to have a church full of people who are messy. That we're going to have a church full of people who don't look like Christians. Okay, That's why we are studying this book. is because we cannot take our Christian culture and 
put it on top of somebody else, okay? This is going to be a beautiful, messy community of people, okay? So, I want to pick up from where I left off. Or actually, I missed something. So there's the story. And what ends, really what ends up happening in our Christianity is that we, and it might, it might be where we have uh, gone to church as a kid. It might be people that we've known that were Christians. For me, I, I, did, I grew up in a Catholic church. And then when I was in middle school, I, we stopped going to church, and I just could see um, Christians, you know. And it might be, whatever your perspective is and however you bring in all of this, is that what we view and what people see uh, is that Christianity is all about following the rules, right? People see, um, you hear that common thing, oh, I can't come to Christ until I clean up my life, get this stuff all fixed up, and then I can come to God, Right? And, that, and they're like, well, how did you come to that conclusion? Because there's nothing said about that in the Bible. It's actually completely opposite. God calls us in as messy people. And he asks to be the changer, not us. So, we come to our, to our Christianity with, uh, okay, uh, now, that, now that I'm saved, I need to get up every morning at 6 o'clock and read my Bible for 15 minutes. And then when we don't do that, oh, we feel bad. We're bad Christians. We're not doing it. Oh, I forgot to pray today. I f- forgot to pray all week. I'm a bad person. I'm not, do- I'm not following it. Tithing. Maybe you skip a whole long time tithing. I'm a bad person. I'm not following the rules. And we see these systems, okay, as, as it. But really what, what we're getting at here is that Jesus is it. God's not looking for us to, um, to, follow a, to follow a system of rules. He's calling us into a relationship with him. Inside of that relationship, there's freedom. Our walk with God is going to look a lot different than anybody else's. Just because we're not getting up in the morning at 6 o'clock like um, somebody else's, doesn't mean that we're not following God with all of our heart, okay? Um, and what ends up happening, and this is, this is in direct relation to the law, and this is just the trying, me trying to apply this to us today um, through, you know, thousands of years in a different culture, that what they were doing was they were adhering to a system of rules that they were giving precedent to everything else. Um, and what Paul uh, goes on to point out is that th- the, through the law, only it only points out the failures of man. It, it, it was never meant to be a behavior changer. Um, and that it, fa- it, it fails at that, and that the law is dead because of that. And that he's, he's talking... Um, and I'll pick up right here. He is trying to basically say that really the law is like an x-ray machine. It gives us a diagnosis, but it does not provide a solution. 
But Jesus Christ is the solution and not not the diagnostic tool um, which everybody else was trying to use as their as their system. Um, so 15, and I'll, I'll just reread this one part. We who are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners know that a man is not justified by observing the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So we too have put our faith in Christ Jesus that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by observing the law. Because by observing the law, no one will be justified. And he's speaking directly to Peter right here. He's, this is where he's, he's opposing him to his face. He says then, If while we seek to be justified in Christ, it becomes evident that we ourselves are sinners, does that mean that Christ promotes sin? And this is the kingpin here, I think, is that we as Christians put, um, we, and I'm not saying that we do, but I say that there's a tendency in the church. And if you look around, you can see it is that we'll place uh, a judgment or uh, whatever on people for doing or not doing certain things. Oh, that uh, that guy, uh, Kurt, I saw him have wine at uh, Inari's when he had a date with his wife. He, he, he's not a good Christian. He drank a glass of wine. Um, or, you know, he was hanging out with uh, this, this totally wacky, you know, group of people how can he be a Christian? I thought that he was a Christian. Okay. If while we seek to be justified in Christ, it becomes evident that we ourselves are sinners, does that mean that Christ promotes sin? Really what he's, <coughs> what he's saying, hey, buddy. Yeah. <laughs> Hi. Hey, Mama, Mama, you need to go back there with Mama. Um, I don't have any. Go see if Mama has it. Oh, you couldn't? Here, maybe Mr. Life can help you. So, he's saying that if if we stop following the law, okay, he says that if it becomes evident that we ourselves are sinners while we're seeking to be justified in Christ. So if we say, okay, the law, let's put the law aside and let's follow Christ. And then he's saying that if we're, by following Christ, we find out that we are sinners through um, through our freedoms or whatever in Christ, does that mean that Christ is promoting sin? And he's saying absolutely not. And I think that what ends up kind of the message, and why I said this, I think this is a kingpin, is what the message is, that people see with their eyes from outside of the church looking in is that the church is trying to control people in morality by, um, you know, creating systems and whatever's this and that. And really, um, what he's saying right here is, is that that's absolutely not true. And he says, If I rebuild what I destroyed, I prove that I am a lawbreaker. For the law died... For through, excuse me, for through the law I died to the law so that I might live for God. I've been crucified with Christ and no longer and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. 
And I'll repeat that last one. I did not set aside the grace of God. He's not saying he put that, he's not putting that to the side, he's putting that in front of him. He didn't set it to the side. He's holding on to the grace of God. And he's saying, because for if righteousness could be gained through the law, so if by following the system of rules, by following a cultural expression of being right with God, by um, circumcision and being approved, um, could gain righteousness through the law, he's saying Christ died for nothing. So he's saying that this has everything to do with the mission of Jesus Christ here um, in our lives on this earth and that we can't allow um, it to be changed because it becomes nullified and it renders the cross useless. Okay. Okay. If my authentication is through works, um, Paul is saying that I'm adding to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he's saying that really the mark of a Christian, just like I thought that it was my shoes, it's not really something that you can necessarily see, which gives us no ability to judge other people. Is that it's there? It's through faith. That's the authentication. The mark of a Christian is your faith, and then from that place of faith, um, you can see other things. And he explained that with the, his own life, the life change that happened in his own life. But he's saying that we need to make that the message and not not the uh um, and so application how do we apply this like what does it look like and i'm really glad hannah challenged me uh i told her what i was thinking about and she was like you know don't use a story that's from high school that was a long time ago and do something that's today like, can't you think of something? And so I was like, oh, wait, what is? So I thought about it, and I thought about it, and this came to mind, and it was, uh, it's with my Bible. Um, and when when I first became a Christian, I didn't go to church for a little while. I started going to home fellowship with the woods, and then I went to Appleton Christian, and I was kind of, I didn't really go to church for all, but after a while, I realized, I said, and through preaching, people hearing people's preaching, I was like, I really need to have a Bible and bring it to church with me so I can, like, underline stuff and whatever. And also because if I bring, this is my thought, you know, I'm not saying this is what it should be for you guys, but if I bring my Bible to church, that tells people that I'm reading my Bible and that I'm a good Christian, right? And so I would, bring my Bible to church. I'd had leave it in the front seat in my truck. I wouldn't read it all week. I'd pick it up. I'd carry it into church with me. And it was for me, it was kind of like, it, it wasn't like a 
this major thing, but it was kind of one of those little things that I had that I was like, okay, this kind of authenticates me as a Christian. You know, this means that I'm, I'm doing a good job. But on the contrary, um, I, was, I was also still maturing as a Christian, and I, I, I had, and praise God, I had a lot of friends who weren't Christians. And God really did use me in a lot of those relationships, but I, I was embarrassed to have my Bible on the front seat of my truck with them around. And the reason was, was because I still had baggage from what I thought a Christian was before I became a Christian. And I didn't want them to think that I was like those people that were the people that were the, that judged, that were critical, that were unaccepting, um, and so I had attached to the Bible all kinds of things. And I want to call those really a system of works. Is that I I was uh, just like how Peter was, when he was amongst the Jews, he was embarrassed to be amongst the Gentiles when they were around. He kind of, it says he kind of like, he didn't like, full out ignore him but he it, he withdrew slowly it was like he kind of like did this thing you know maybe they won't notice that I'm backing off and but then when he was around the other the uh, just the Gentiles he wasn't like that and when he was around just the Jews he wasn't like but he was with them collectively he was like this two two person and really what the message is saying and what I feel like the message is saying to me within that is that this is a beautiful thing, the Word of God, God's living Word in our lives as we open it up and apply it to our lives. This is a beautiful thing. There, and I had a, an attachment uh, that I had placed on it that made it something that was kind of a clout thing. And I also had an attachment to it that also made it something that I was ashamed of. Okay, But that Jesus Christ came to bring freedom to us. I was held in slavery to human opinion. Just like he's saying uh, Peter was in was enslaving himself, but he wasn't just enslaving himself, is that he was enslaving others also by his actions, by holding them to a human opinion. But Christ has come to wipe that away and to give us true freedom uh, in him inside of that true freedom we can have uh, relationships that that um, don't have uh, attached motivations we can love purely we can love truly we can um, be uh, about building people up and loving on people and not trying to come in and change their Change them. Like I was talking about, someday, we're, this room is going to be full. I don't know if we'll be here or somewhere else, but this, our, this community, will have, we, we will have wrapped our arms around all kinds of different people. And it's not our job to come in and place certain uh, cultural things on them. I talked about a few things, you know. Um, we're not to, you know, judge them if they have their Bibles or don't have their Bibles. 
raising their kids a certain way or this way, co-sleeping, you know, or sleeping in your own beds for the kids, spankings, no spankings. There's a lot of that stuff within raising your kids just alone, and that's probably something that will come up here in our groups with having a, a mixed group of people. And it's not our place to put cultural importance on things over over the message of Christ. Um, political. You know, I touched on this a couple weeks ago. It's not really our place to change people's political opinions. God is so much bigger than any of that, okay? And it's not a it's not it's not a place to be um I mean, and that's the thing is that and I want to it's not that those things are bad because it, the because that's because they're not. It's just like circumcision in itself. He's speaking out against this, but if you follow back and look at circumcision in the Bible, it is a beautiful thing is that these men were leading their communities and saying that we are going to be pure and we are going to be a pure people so that the, and really it was the genealogy of, of Jesus came through because they were a protected people. They were set apart. They didn't, and there's a lot of weird things. They didn't intermarry with other races. They didn't do a lot of different things, okay? That today in our in our eyes we're like, wow, those people were racist. But but that's not that was not it is that they were instructed by God to maintain and they did that and that this circumcision was really a sign it was an outward sign of what God was going to do on the inside and the circumcision of the heart but circumcision was a beautiful thing it was very good but they had taken it out of its place and put it where it wasn't supposed to be and given it that place of importance So, it's not that spanking your kids is good or not spanking your kids is bad or good or that all these different cultural expressions that we may be doing, it's not that they're necessarily good or bad and it says, does Christ condone sin then, you know, if if uh, you have this freedom and you're off uh, sinning with that freedom that you have, you know, that, that you're, he's saying absolutely not. It's n- that sin is still sin. But there are things that are uh, those in-between things that are really up to human opinion, that are up to uh, an individual's, you know, however that works well and best within your family or within that relationship. There's a lot of different things, and he's calling those the freedoms in Christ, and that it's not our place to wrangle those and enslave people into ours. So that's a great responsibility because we gravitate towards that. And even Peter, even Peter, who was the guy who walked on water, who was directly with Jesus, who was commissioned to lead the church, who delivered this amazing message, uh, and, uh, and thousands of people came to Christ and was mightily used by God, even Peter was caving towards this. And praise the Lord that Paul opposed him to his face because now we have freedom in Christ through that. Um, and that message has been preserved. Um, if you wanted to come on up, Leif, um, I, I'll just uh, pray for us and close us off. Um, 
God, uh, thank you for um, your word. Thank you that um, the Bible is a beautiful thing and that um, that you speak to us through it, God. Thank you that, um, God, that you, you accomplished so much on the cross, God. Um, and that that work was, is complete and final, Lord. And we just ask, Lord, I, I just pray that uh, your Holy Spirit, God, would come here and um, just in this last little bit of time that we have together, God, that you would even speak to us about s- specific things. God, bring conviction to us in the areas that we need convicting. God, I just pray that um, you would use us uh, here in this community. God, uh, although we are um, uh, imperfect and messy, God, uh, we're also empowered by you to go and to bring this message, God. And I just pray that you would give us... um, appointments with people and opportunities with people to really share uh, who you are uh, with them, God. And I pray that we would not alter that message and make it something that's of our own culture, Lord, but that we would keep it pure and keep it free um, as you've intended. Um, Lord, just receive.